So our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. And just by way of just sort of back up a little bit to give some reminder of where we are, Jesus is... um, Last week, Jesus was sort of, well, not really sort of, he was chastising. He was rebuking the people of his day for how how well they could look at the sky and predict the weather, and yet they couldn't look at what was going on right around them and understand that the Messiah had come. It's kind of interesting today as we look at the sky and are trying to predict the weather. Um, It's not an issue that only existed in the first century, is it? Uh, We've gotten, if anything, we've gotten better and better and better at predicting pretty insignificant things. I mean, in the grand scheme of things. But have we gotten any better at understanding the time in which we live and understanding that this is the day of salvation and the day of repentance. But maybe just as dangerous as not seeing the signs or not understanding the signs, I think just as dangerous as that is when we see signs where there are no signs. And everywhere we turn is another sign. And oh, this is proof of that. And that's proof of this. And, or worse, we interpret the signs in a very uh, incorrect way. And this is what Jesus uh, is addressing here in this passage. What happens when we look and see signs, but the signs that we see aren't pointing us in the direction that, that God would have them point us? And it ends up raising for us very, very hard questions or very hard answers, I should say. Uh, to some pretty significant questions. So let's, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. This is, is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, For three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure, 
Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So this is one of these passages where, you know, we see, especially in Luke, where there are times that Jesus addresses his disciples, uh, not just meaning the 12, but disciples who are intentionally following Jesus as the Messiah, and times that he addresses the crowds who also followed him. And this passage seems to be one in which he's interacting with the crowds. You know, why did they... Why did they bring up these Galileans? Um, again, I think it's not hard as long as we're willing to kind of look at our own hearts and not try to remove ourselves too much from these folks. We realize that, that well, they brought it up the same reason we bring things like this up. It's, um, it's tantalizing to talk about these kinds of atrocities and and tragedies, to talk about these things out there, just to, you know, because you can kind of gauge your audience when you bring something like that up, because you can find out quickly, like, where they fall, what are they most offended by this story, what, what gets their ire up, you know, they, I, I think they expected to, I think they expected Jesus to say, he did What? And so they could all join in and be angry at Pilate and this evil government that was over them. And they could say, yeah, at least we only have two more years of this garbage, though, right? Oh, no, they couldn't say that. But it's, it's, it's fun to, to pick on those things out there because it distracts us from having to think at all about our own hearts, about ourselves. In fact, we never find out why they brought this news item up. Because Jesus hijacks the conversation as he is prone to do. He has his agenda. He really doesn't care what their agenda is over it. He takes hold of it, and he takes it in a direction that I can almost guarantee they were not expecting. He immediately asks them, do you think these folks were somehow worse sinners than others since they suffered this way? Now, why does Jesus immediately ask that question? Because our tendency, when we see suffering, is often, if not immediately, to eventually ask, why? Why did this happen? This week marked the one-year, I don't know if you call it anniversary, it seems like an awful use of that word, but the one-year 
anniversary, I guess, of the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. A public elementary school where 19 students were killed and two teachers and 17 others were injured. And we ask, why? And maybe for some of us, we hear it and we think, well, I may not know why, but if your kids weren't in public school, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And we have these horrific answers for each other. Until two months ago yesterday, a young woman walks in to not just a Christian school, but a Christian school in a Presbyterian church. And she kills six people, three elementary students and three teachers, one a substitute teacher who was just there that day. And one of the students is the nine-year-old daughter of the pastor of that church. And we ask, why? Why them? Why did this happen? And too often, our answer is the answer that Job's friends offer. There is no smoke without fire, and there is no suffering without sin. Atrocities like what Pilate did to these Galileans are evil. It is evil what he did. Mass shootings are evil. They are wicked acts of wicked people. We might look at those and recognize that, well, there's really no getting around the wickedness of others. These are things that can't be avoided. But what about tragedies? What about tragedies when there is no wicked person to pin it on? A typhoon strengthens in the Pacific and grows to the size of a Category 4 hurricane and goes right over Guam and zero people died. But in 2012, a Category 3 hurricane sweeps through and devastates many areas, including New York, and 233 people die from that storm. Why? So two weeks ago, One very long time pillar of the PCA. He was even senior pastor of Alan Joseph for years. He died. And from all we can see, he died of old age. He was 83 years old. And in that same week, another pillar of the PCA, another pastor, died of pan pancreatic cancer that he fought against for over a year. 
And the day before his death, another pillar of the PCA and pastor died in a fatal car accident. Do we line these three up and say, the one who died of old age must have been more righteous than the one who died of pancreatic cancer, who was probably then more righteous than the one who died in a fatal car accident? Because we want to know why. Why do these things happen? Jesus says, well, you don't even have to look at Pilate and the Galileans. You can look around the corner to the edge of the temple near the pool of Siloam where the tower fell and crushed 18 men. Were these men more wicked than others? Is that why this happened to them? Religion says bad things happen to bad people. Why, why are we always looking for that? Why do we want to know? Why is, you know, what's going on? Why is their relationship difficult? Why is that relationship with the child difficult? Why is, the, why is what's going on in their situation hard? Why are they going through this? Why is this happening? We want to find the answer. We want to find the thing that we can put our finger on and say, oh, that's why. Okay, I'm good then. Because behind all of our bad things happen to bad people is the undercurrent of, if those bad things aren't happening to me, it's because I'm good people. It's because I'm, well, we, have, we get our theology from the sound of music rather than from the Bible. Do you remember... Uh, I don't want to pick too hard on it because it's, it's my daughter's favorite movie. And so, but you remember in this movie, you know, the, the father, Daddy Von Trapp, I never remember his name. Um, I did find out recently that the, the actor hated that movie. Anyway, uh, 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 so he and Maria begin hitting it off and falling in love and finally, the children are going to have a mother. And they begin to sing to each other as they confess their love for one another. And they're like, oh, our lives are so wonderful. Why? And they say, oh, I know why. Because somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. What? And there's even a little bridge. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. We want to be able to explain hard things in other people's lives because if we can, it explains why those things aren't happening in our lives. And Jesus asks two questions. They're really 
they're so similar, but there's enough difference that it's important. But he only gives one identical answer to the two questions. He first asks, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And it's interesting how he starts with that. Well, partly because that's how they brought it up. They brought this, this quandary up with him. But it almost even prepares for the next situation that Jesus brings up because you can almost hear in their answers, well, no, probably not, but you know Galileans. I mean, they're all a bunch of hicks. They talk funny. I mean, they barely, I mean, they don't even come down to the temple as much as they should. So, no, probably not. They're probably all just as wicked. But then he brings it back to the people of Jerusalem. Do you think that they were worse offenders? Literally, it's, do you think they were worse debtors than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, he, he, he describes sin as a debt. Do you think that they owed more to God than everyone else in Jerusalem? Do you think their debts had piled up higher and so the tower fell on them? And his answer is identical to both of them. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Did this happen to the Galileans? Did this atrocity, this wickedness happen to them because they are more sinful than others? Did this tower fall, this freak accident, did this happen because they were worse sinners, deeper in debt than others? Why did, do bad things happen because of our sin? And Jesus' answer is no but repent. No, but repent. This didn't happen to them because they're worse sinners. We're all sinners. Repent, or else you all will likewise perish. How interesting that we sometimes take this and read it and we say, Oh, Jesus is speaking to Jerusalem and to Israel, and he's warning them that if they don't repent, that, that, you know, Rome is going to come and descend on them. And he's actually predicting that in 40 years, you know, Israel, Jerusalem will fall. Like, worse, this will happen to you unless you repent. How ridiculously ironic that we take the very point Jesus is making and twist it into the point they were making. Oh, he's talking about them and their wickedness. And look, it all happened. Everything he said was going to happen, happened. And that's why Jerusalem fell. So what? Jesus would be beating his head against the wall saying, Do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? You repent. You look at your sin and what your sin deserves. I'm reminded of, of Hamlet. 
He says, use every man after his dessert. And who should escape whipping? If everyone gets their just desserts, everybody gets a whipping. Jesus says, repent. Repent. You repent. This tragedy, don't waste whatever is going on. Let it focus you on your heart and what you need to do. And are you right with God? Because all will perish. Repent. Turn from your sin to God. Repent. Repentance is not whitewashing. Repentance is not deciding it was no big deal. It doesn't really matter. Repentance is not blame shifting. Repentance is not saying, well, it wasn't my fault. Well, she made me do it. Well, I was tired. We should have seen the traffic. Well, he hit me first. Well, she took my dolly. Well, he, well, you, well, they. Well, you know that when you talk to me that way, I get angry. Repentance isn't blame shifting. Repentance isn't self-pity. I'm sorry for what this has cost me. I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance is not self-flagellation. Well, if I feel bad enough and punish myself enough, then maybe no one else will, will say anything. To repent is to look full in the face of your sin and see it as God sees it and turn from it. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin of salvation. Repentance and faith. Turning away from my sin, turning toward God and His provision in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are similar in two ways. One, that they're both entrance-level things, aren't they? Like, to become a Christian requires repentance and faith. Confess your sin, believe in God and and in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. They are these entry points to Christianity. But repentance and faith are also where you live the rest of your life as a Christian. Trusting God and repenting of your sin. Trusting God and repenting of your sin. This is why uh, Martin Luther says in his first uh, point, in his 95 Theses that he nails to the door in Wittenberg. He says, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, in Matthew 4.17, He willed the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. That's why Jesus, in a prayer that He says, 
pray it so often that you're saying, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As often as you come to God for the sustaining work that he does in your life, you also come to God in confession and in repentance and seeking forgiveness. It's why in our creeds, as I said, we confess, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Unfortunately, for many of us, when we say forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts, uh, we often just mean, excuse me. Often, when we even say to each other, forgive me, what we mean is, excuse me, pardon me. See, if, if, you can, if what I've done or said or thought can be excused, it doesn't need to be forgiven, does it? Because there's a reason, there's a caveat, there's a, well, this is why, excuse me. But as C.S. Lewis put it, if, if 90% of what I've done could be excused, that leaves 10% that is inexcusable. And in that 10%, I can't be excused. I need to be forgiven. Jesus says, repent. Repentance admits there's no excuse. There is no fixing. I can't say enough nice things to unsay the cruel thing. I can't do enough good things to undo the cruel thing. There's no balancing. I can't, I can't tell you enough truths to untell you the lie. I need forgiveness. I need to repent. And I, to admit, this is what I've done. Without forgiveness, there is no hope. And then Jesus goes on and he tells this parable. Fig trees and, and vineyards are often, frequently, pictures or metaphors for Israel. But just because this is a picture or a metaphor for Israel, does that mean it doesn't apply to anyone individually? Or does it apply to the group of people because it applies to every person? And the, the, the story is pretty straightforward and understandable, isn't it? In fact, so much so that Maybe we miss the patience of God in it. You know, it's a tree. It's, it's mature enough for fruitfulness. It's been there. It's been growing. It's been three years now, and there's nothing. Cut it down. 
it's wasting space. Which is just like as a parable for us as as unrepentant or as fruitless individuals, that's a, that's a hard thing to hear. Like you hear teenagers say that about each other. Ah, oh, he's a waste of breathing space. Ah, oh, she's just, that's a waste. Of, they're a waste of breath. <laughs> he says, listen, cut that tree down. It's a waste of space. It's, it's taking up space that other things could take up. And the gardener says, well, let's do this. Just give it another year. Give it one more year. I know three years, nothing. Give it one more year. Let me dig around it to make sure that the ground is loose enough that the water can get in. Let me fertilize it. I read one commentator who pointed out, so see, as we can see from the parable, we only bear fruit when we, when we are under difficult circumstances, when we have the manure piled on. It's like, What? Okay, so, I mean, maybe you can find that somewhere else, but that's not. This is food and care and love and patience. This is giving this tree everything it needs to bear fruit and the time it would need to do it. Let's let it go through the entire four-season session. The patience of God with you and me is incredible. Amen. So repent. So repent. The fact that evil is not punished here and now does not mean that God approves of what sinners are doing. It does mean that God is patient. That God is merciful. One final thing I want to point out. Jesus, in this passage, is not talking to the people on whom the tower fell. Okay? Jesus isn't talking to the people who are going through the trial. He's talking to the people whose lives are very good who are watching the trial. And he's saying, don't wait for the trial. You repent now. Repentance includes, oh, I have assumed that my good life is because of my good deeds. And the reason we can repent is because of the one calling us to repent. Because Jesus won't just have his blood mingled with the sacrifice by Pilate. 
Jesus' blood will be the sacrifice. It will be the one and final sacrifice to wash us, to cleanse us. The tower of God's wrath fell on Christ so that you and I could repent and be spared. Let's not waste the trials, even other people's trials. Jesus says, you repent. You turn back to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your blood that was shed as the once and final sacrifice for our sin. We thank you that you bore the wrath of God as it came crashing down on you. Not in some fluke tragedy, but designed by your Father, embraced by you for our salvation. God, give us hearts of repentance. Help us to see our sin, to hate our sin, and to turn and live. In Jesus' name, amen.